to the High Praises Church podcast. We hope you are blessed by today's sermon. Now here's lead pastor, Chris Starr. The Bible says, And to Joseph were born two sons before the years of the famine came, whom Azanath, the daughter of Potiphera, priest of On, bore him. And Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, for God has made me forget all my toil and all my father's house. And the name of the second he called Ephraim, for God has caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. Thank you. You can be seated this morning. Good to see everybody here on this Sunday before school starts. And all the parents said, yeah, hallelujah, praise break, right? Praise break time. Dun, 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 dun. Okay. Um, I think everybody here, if they were honest, would say they love rags to riches stories. Everybody loves the rags to riches stories. Take the classic example of Oliver Twist by Charles Dickens. Little orphan boy living in an orphanage, poor, no hope. And yet, at some point in the story, through all of his sorrows and tragedies and the different things that go on, he encounters this man, this rich, wealthy man who takes him and adopts him. And the story ends with him living with a wealthy family. He's adopted and just a wonderful story from rags to riches. Classic example. There's a modern example of the rags to riches story, and it's the story of Oprah Winfrey. I think everybody knows who she is. Oprah was born in a, in a poor family in the state of Mississippi in 1954. She had a very traumatic upbringing. She ran away from home when she was 13. Uh, She was abused by two family members and a family friend. She uh, uh, had a child at the age of 14, and unfortunately that child shortly thereafter died. And so she lived a very rough life, a life of poverty, the rags story. But she got a scholarship to Tennessee State University and went to college and graduated from there, and things begin to turn for her, just like for Oliver Twist, things begin to turn for her, and at the age of 19, she became the first black TV correspondent in the state of Tennessee, and then she moved to Chicago, and doors opened up for her, and she started her own show, a little, well, a little program not maybe many of you know called the Oprah Winfrey Show, and it's been around for 25 seasons And uh, it was one of the greatest successes in the history of television. And then she opened her own or started her own network, the Oprah Winfrey Network, which is still in existence today. And I Googled her net worth, and I had Googled it before, and it went up by a million dollars. She is worth $2.7 billion. What a wonderful story of rags to riches, a black woman growing up in a poor home in the state of Mississippi, and then to the place where she is today, a household name. The reason I bring those two stories up is because the Bible contains a rags to riches story, and it's the story of Joseph, and it's not the Joseph who married uh, Mary in, in the New Testament, but it's Joseph who was the son of Jacob in the Old Testament. And like Oliver Twist, and like Oprah Winfrey, Joseph's path to success was dotted with many episodes of intense 
personal suffering. And let me take you through them. As a child, he was verbally abused by jealous brothers who hated him. His family frowned on his sense of personal destiny, and they tried to destroy his dream. His brothers eventually sold him into slavery, and that only after considering to murder him. And so from that point, he went from being a free nomad to an Egyptian slave. The comfortable position that he had and the success that he obtained in his master's house, a guy named Potiphar, was compromised by the sexual advances of Mr. Potiphar's wife. And uh, because of his repeated refusal to get with her and, and refusal of her advances, she, through her husband, had him unjustly incarcerated. And so while in prison, he encountered two of Pharaoh's cabinet members. And he said to them, look, I'm not supposed to be here. I haven't done anything wrong. When you get out, will you at least talk to Pharaoh on my behalf, <laughs> intercede for me, and see if you can get me out of here? Where well, one of them actually got out of prison and went back to Pharaoh, but selfishly forgot everything about Joseph. So you look at Joseph's life and you have all this series of, of bad events that are happening to him. But just like Oliver Twist and just like Oprah Winfrey, Oprah Winfrey, there was a turning point, a tipping point, and things began to change. And the Pharaoh had a dream and nobody could interpret it. And the cabinet member went, oh boy, man, I have messed up. Uh, two years ago, that's how long it had been. Two years ago, I met this guy in a prison who could interpret dreams and I forgot all about him. Oh man, hey, this guy I think can interpret your dream. They got Joseph out. He heard Pharaoh's dream through the power of the Holy Spirit, was able to interpret it. And just like that, that Pharaoh took him and elevated him from being a prisoner prisoner to putting him in a place of position in the palace, made him second in command of all of Egypt and said, basically, I'm not running the country anymore. You are. And here's the thing. That was Joseph's dream. He saw himself as a national leader and it became a reality. And that's the point. His vision of greatness was finally fulfilled and the doubters and the scorners were silenced. Now, that story in itself is wonderful. And Joseph is one of my favorite characters in all the Bible. But here is the point that I want to drive home with you today, okay? Listen to me. Joseph's greatest indicator or indication of success was not his acquisition of wealth or power or position or fame. The greatest indicator of Joseph's success was his triumph over his suffering that he faced along the way to his dream becoming reality. It's that he overcame the suffering. Uh, a lot of you know leadership is kind of my niche. It's my thing. And uh, I love to talk to young leaders and train leaders. And one of the things that I constantly tell young leaders is that a lot of times you guys want to shortcut your way to positions and to success. You want, you say, I graduated college and I've got this degree and I want you to give me a position with a lot of influence, a lot of power, and I want you to pay me a big salary and I'm ready, let's go. And what you don't understand is you're not ready. You think you're ready, but you're not ready. Because, because in the development of, of seasoned, successful leaders, you have to go through the process. You can't shortchange the process. 
And what is the process? It's, it's the failures. It's the tripping up. It's facing things you've never faced before. It's going through crises. It's, it's having somebody tell you no. It's, it's having tried something and then failed, but getting back up and trying again. It's learning how, to, learning how to glean from others and ask for help. There are all these things that you have to go through, the heartaches, the difficulties, and it is the heartaches and the difficulties that make you wiser and stronger and that ultimately qualify you so that you can be able to lead others effectively and influence others successfully. In the same way for the Christian life, so many times we think, I just want to shortcut all the trials in life, and I want to shortcut all the difficulties in life because I just want to have the joy and the peace, and I want God to just help me to have victory in my life, and everything go great for me. And what you don't understand is that you've got to go through the difficulties. You have to go through the troubles. You have to go through the sorrows. You have to go through those hard times because as you go through them and you learn to lean on God, it is through those things that God matures us and cures us, if you will, and and seasons us and helps us to grow so that more and more we become mature in the Lord and qualified to influence others for Christ. And so you might as well accept the fact that bad things are going to happen, just like it did for Joseph. Joseph married uh, an Egyptian woman, and he had two sons, and he named those sons. And in the Bible, you will find out that, that people named their children with certain names that had significance and meaning. For example, Moses was called Moses because that means drawn out. And so Moses was found by Pharaoh's daughter and she drew him out of the Nile River when he was in that ark in the bulrushes. And then you had a guy named Samuel. Samuel was, uh, was, the, was the son of a woman that could not have children. And so Samuel, she went to the Lord, she prayed, said, Lord, I want to have a son. And, and she prayed and God heard her. Well, Samuel means heard of God heard by the Lord. And then you have Judah, which means praise. Well, we like that one, don't we? And then there's the greatest name, a name above all names. His name's Jesus. And his name means Savior. And I'm so glad I know his name. And so, and so Joseph named his two children. The first one he named Manasseh. And Manasseh means making forgetful. And then the second son he named Ephraim. And that means fruitfulness. Making forgetful and fruitfulness. And these names are important because they are indicative of how Joseph addressed his troubles and trials and hurts and sufferings in life. And so we're going to learn from Joseph today. And there were some things that Joseph knew. And here's the first one. Troubles can make you bitter or better. Is it me or am I hearing music somewhere? Is there a noise? Do y'all hear that? Well, to usher, go find out what that is and see if we can stop it. Robert, I'm going to commission you because I think it's hindering everybody and it's hindering me. It sounds like somebody with a deep bass and a car out in the parking lot, doesn't it? Do y'all hear that? Was it hindering y'all? It was hindering me. And if I get hindered, I'm going to be in trouble. I can't, I can't preach. So I don't know what that is, but it's, uh, we're going to go see if we can figure that out. So let me get back to preaching today. Uh, or that I'm going to dismiss. We're all going to go home. Uh, first of all, here's what Joseph learned. This is a little bit of a cliche, but it's so true, it's worth saying. Um, troubles can make you either bitter or better. Troubles will either, and it's true, they will either make you bitter, a bitter person, or a better person. See, Joseph could have focused 
on the past, could have focused on the hurts, could have focused on the wrongs, could have stayed laser focused on the injustices. Think about that. It was his prerogative to never forget the cutting remarks of his brothers and how they sold him out. It was his prerogative to never forget how Potiphar chose to believe his licentious wife instead of him. It was his prerogative to just focus on and remember and never forget uh, how Pharaoh's butler had it in his power to get him free from prison, but forgot all about him. It was his prerogative. And he could have just said, I'm never gonna forget those things and walked in the bitterness and the hurt. And we all experience trying times, just like Joseph. Uh, 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 maybe a friend stabs you in the back or a coworker goes behind your back to get your promotion or your self-esteem is crushed by a cutting remark from someone that you admire that you never thought would say that to you or you're the butt of a cruel joke or someone uses you at the expense of your emotions. Things like that happen. Um, People laugh at your dreams. They scorn your vision. They actively try to deter you from your destiny. And so here's what I want to say to you today. How you respond to these things will make all the difference in the world on who you become and where you eventually go. And Joseph made a decision. He made a decision to forget the past. He released everything, every cruel word, every hurtful deed, every grudge, every ill feeling and feeling. And how did he do it? He did it by the power of God. He he said, God has made me forget all my toil and all my father's house. It was something he could not do alone. He depended on the strength and the power of God. And listen, I just want to preach today. I'm here to tell you today, if you have hurts in your life, you have past pains in your life, things that have weighed you down. Listen, I'm here to tell you there is power in the name of Jesus that God can release you from that. Take that burden off your shoulders. Break those shackles off of your feet so that you can live the rest of your life in freedom from the past. I watched God do it in the first service in the altars this morning. He touched people and set them free. You can overcome them. You know, some people will say, I'll forgive you, but I'll never forget what you did. Some people will say, my wounds are deep, but I'll never get over them. Fine. Never forget and never get over them. You will have an open wound that will be festering and infected, and that will plague you for the rest of your life. It'll make you spiritually sick. And so I'm telling you, there is a power that can set you free. You can overcome them by the divine help of your God. Your God. God Almighty. He can, you can do it, and you can choose to forget and move on unencumbered by the past. The apostle Paul did this. He said, one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind me and reaching forward to those which are ahead, I press toward the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. It's a choice that you make. And you say, I choose not to dwell on the past. And I choose not to dwell on the hurt. And I choose not to dwell on the pain. And I choose not to dwell on the criticisms and the scorning and the cutting remarks and the things that people did that wounded my spirit. I'm letting it go. I'm forgetting it. I I, I remember my dad telling this story about a pastor that had a woman that came to him and said, Pastor, I had a tremendous healing that took place in my life. I'd like to tell you about it. And so he had her make an appointment. She came that next week. He said, Sister, sit down. Tell me about this wonderful healing. He thought it was cancer or heart disease or something. She said, what did God do? He said, she said, Pastor, this past Sunday, the Lord healed me of every hurt that I've ever experienced in my life. 
all the pains and things that people have said and done to me. She said, God healed me. of all. I'm here to tell you, God can heal you of that. And you can be free from it and let it go. And here's the second thing that, that Joseph teaches us. Bitterness and resentment are destructive to your inner person. Bitterness and resentment will destroy you. Acidic soil cannot produce life. But the house I'm presently living in, we lived there now about four years, but, but prior to that, our previous location, we lived there about 12 years, and we had oak trees everywhere. I had some cut out, and there were still a zillion oak trees in my yard, front and back. And people say, oh, oak trees are so wonderful. No, they're not. I hate oak trees. I like them in the woods, but not in my yard. They dropped acorns, and they had to get them up out of the yard all the time. They dropped leaves. They dropped those squiggly little things. Y'all know what I'm talking about? The little squiggly things that fall in your, all over your vehicle. I hated them. I was constantly cleaning up after Mother Nature. And so I hate them. But the worst part of all was the acidity in the soil. Horticulturists will tell you that, that it's the leaves, it's everything, the trees sucking up all the nutrients, that the soil around oak trees becomes acidic and nothing grows in it. And I love a green yard. Oh, I just love a plush green yard. I love to mow. I love to get on my X mark, zero turn, and I fly. You ought to see me on that thing. I can zip around a wheel. I come flying into the garage. Park that thing. I love that thing, man. And so I love a yard. Well, I wanted a green yard at that house. And I would go to Lowe's and I would spend tons of money on, on fescue and fertilizer. And I'm talking to all these people and they're telling me, you know, do this. And I would plant it and I would fertilize it. And then the fescue would start to grow. And I'm like, this is great. I finally got a green yard. And then it would die every year. I finally had to bring a company in and that company came in and they put, I don't know, nitrate and I don't know, they had these certain things they did to neutralize the acidity so there could be growth. Are you hearing the pastor today that in your spiritual life, until you allow the power of God to neutralize the acidity in your heart, to get rid of the bitterness and the resentment and the revenge and the desire to hurt that person, the pain until that's neutralized, nothing will ever grow in your life. Nothing spiritual will grow in your life. It will always hinder you from becoming who God wants you to be. Nothing good can grow in the soil of a heart filled with bitter feelings and resentment and hatred and revenge and unforgiveness. Because I'm telling you something right now, everybody in this room knows, a bitter negative person can't keep friends. You ever notice that? A, a, bitter, a bitter negative person never maintains long-term relationships. They kill them. A bitter negative person can't have a positive conversation. It might be going good and then they'll find that one. They find, they're the person that finds the black dot on a white page. They can't sit back and enjoy life. I just wanted to come here today and tell you by God's power, you can overcome the past and the hurts of the past and you can shake it off and you can have a heart full of life and love and laughter. This past week, I went to our state convention. They call it camp meeting, our Church of God camp meeting in Malden. And I went Monday and Tuesday, or Sunday and Monday nights, and one of my favorite preachers in all the world preached, uh, Dr. Tim Hill, and he's the general overseer of, of the Church of God worldwide, and he's one of the greatest preachers. He's preached in this church before, and uh, he preached, and Monday night he preached a message. Uh, he sang for about an hour, then preached for about 
about 20 minutes, I think. But, but he preached, and he used two illustrations, and I got to make sure I give him credit because not only am I talking to you, and some of you are there, but people are watching online, and, and so I, I got to make sure that I give Tim Hill credit. But, but as I was listening, uh, I listened to those, and I thought, man, those, those are two good illustrations. I may have to use that in a sermon sometime. I had no idea it was going to be this Sunday. So, so some guys go to camp meeting and actually are looking for the sermon for the next Sunday. I wasn't. But in the course of this message, I got to this point in my message, I thought, hey, I need to use it. So I'm going to give Tim Hill credit, okay, but I'm going to run it through my sausage grinder. Tim Hill used these two illustrations straight out of the Bible that I think are so powerful. He talked about the Apostle Paul in, in Acts chapter 28. It's the last chapter of Acts. Paul is on his way to Rome in a ship, and they have a, the, the ship wrecks. And they wreck, and they get on the island of Malta. Okay, well, they all made it to shore, and it's raining, and they're all wet, and the Bible says that the natives there showed them no unusual kindness, and they took care of them and blessed them, and so Paul, they build a fire, and they're trying to dry out and get warm, and so Paul goes over and starts grabbing up sticks, you know, just pulling up sticks out of the woods, putting them in his arm, and he goes over to the fire, and he's throwing, throwing the sticks into the fire, to, to fuel the fire and helping out. And as he is doing that, he doesn't realize that there is a viper, a poisonous snake that is in the bundle of sticks. So somehow in the transfer, the flames sort of kindled, awakened the viper and, and, the, and the heat activated the viper. Read the scriptures, you'll read it. And, and as he's going to throw in a bundle of sticks, the viper, Paul doesn't see it, bites him on the hand, latches onto his hand. Now it's attached to his hand. And Tim Hill made a point, and I'm going to make it here this morning, that that your hand sort of, that hand of Paul represents your life. And sometimes people will say things and do things that hurt you. And they'll latch on to you, they'll bite you, and it hurts. And if you leave the viper there, the viper is filled with poison, and so the poison just keeps going into your system, poisoning you and slowly killing you. And he said, Paul could have walked around and said, hey, look at this viper. Can you believe that? This thing bit me. Look at this. I'm just going to walk around showing people how hurt I am. I'm so hurt. Look at this. This viper. And that viper was just pumping pumping poison into him. And he says, people do that. And we do. Sometimes we get hurt and we use this as a badge of honor. And we walk around. Well, she hurt me. He said something that really made me mad. And I'm just, I'm, I'm so tore up about it. And we just keep talking about it and we won't let it go. And it's latched on us. And what we don't understand is, is that the event is like a viper. It's poisonous. It's toxic. And if you keep dwelling on it and talking about it and leaving it in your spirit, it's going to eventually kill you. But what did Paul do? The Bible says he shook it off into the fire. He didn't leave it. He didn't let it stay on his hand. He shook it off into the fire. And that's what I came here today to tell you, that you can, by the power of God, shake off whatever's happening. And I'm not going to do a Taylor Swift impersonation right here, so chill out. But what I'm telling you is, by the power of God, you can shake it off. You can shake it off. You can say, you know what? I choose not to let this affect me. I choose not to let this poison me. And, and the Bible says, when you make that decision that God supernaturally nullified, he, he stopped the poison from having any effect on Paul, and Paul was just okay. And I'm just trying to teach you this morning that instead of letting the poison of the past and the pains kill you, shake it off, and God will take that, and he will put a serum in you that will cause that to no longer have its effect, and you will be filled with joy and peace, and you could go on your life living for him. You shake it off in the fire. And he was interested. He said the same flame that awakened it is the same flame that destroyed it. 
And here's what I'm going to say to you is, is the flame of the trial that awakens that. The, whatever somebody does in the heat of a moment, says something mean to you or whatever, and it hurts you, listen, you can shake it off in the fire of God, and God's fire will destroy its effect on you. Isn't that powerful? That whatever the fire is of the trial can be overcome by the fire of God that will destroy any effect on you. The second story I really love. This was the illustration that really got me, and I thought, I'm going to, I'm going to preach this. Somewhere, sometime, somehow, I'm going to preach this. I get to preach it today. Take Job. Everybody knows the story of Job. If you don't, man, you ought to read about it. I mean, even sinful people, secular people know Job. It's just kind of, Job was a rich man. Uh, Job, matter of fact, Job lived in the days of the patriarchs of the early years of, of earth. Job's, the story of Job may be the oldest story we have about mankind uh, as, you know, other than Adam and Eve and some other. But, but the, this whole story we have is very... So Job was rich, had a big family, wealthy, and in one day, he loses every bit of his wealth. What if you got online and your bank account was empty, your, your financial portfolio, every account was at zero? Everything. He lost everything. His kids are all at a house, having a party, having a feast, like, it's okay, but just having a good time, and the roof caves in and kills all of them. He loses every one of his children in one day. He has to bury all of them in one day. And then in one day, he breaks out in these boils and sickness gets on his body and he's sitting with broken pieces of pottery, scraping the boils to break out the pus to somehow get relief from the infection. His, his life is a shambles. You want to talk about a guy going through it? Well, Mrs. Job comes along and she says, Job, why don't you just curse God and die? And Mrs. Job gets a bad rap. And I've probably been guilty of giving Mrs. Job a bad rap. But if you think about it, Mrs. Job lost all her money too. Mrs. Job lost all of her kids too. Mrs. Job had to sit there and watch her husband fighting this disease. They don't know if she doesn't know if he's going to live or, or he's going to die. And her faith wavered. And it was more than she could take. And it was killing her, see? And it was destroying her. And yet Job's over there maintaining his trust in God. And she walks over him and she says, Job, why do you keep trusting God? Look at all these bad things. We could just, I'm focusing on all the bad things. And you just see, Job just curse God and die. And, and, and what Tim Hill said he did, and I think it's very possible, is that Job took his hand and put his arms around Mrs. Job and said, Honey, I know we've lost the kids, and I know we've lost everything, and I know I'm sick, and I know it looks bad, and I know you want me to curse God and die, but honey, if we can curse God and die, we can bless God and live. Hallelujah. And so you just got a choice. Which one do you want to do? Do you just want to live around cursing God and dying and shrivel up, focus on the past? Or do you want to say, you know what? I'm going to put the past in the past and I'm going to walk in my destiny. I'm going to walk in, the, in all that God has for me because God has so much more for you. And you cannot make it by living in the past. I have two grandsons that love to come over to my house and we bought these little electric, they look like John Deere tractors. And Leah didn't buy one, she bought two for Bo and Barrett. And I'm like, just buy one, and they can share it. Oh, no, they can't share it. They have to have one each. Okay. So, ma'am, all bought two. And, boy, when they come over to the house, they get on those little tractors, and they ride. You ought to see them. And they're, they're riding. They love to ride around the whole house. 
And here they come, and they're, they're just racing, and then Bo likes to run into Barrett on his. And I have to stop them. But here's the worst thing all they do. They'll be driving. Bo will be driving. He'll be driving, and he'll turn around and say, look, Papa, look what I'm doing. He's doing like I said, pay attention. You're going to run into my truck. Don't look at me. Pay attention. And they just want to ride looking back. Look, Papa, look what I'm bearing. Barrett, I'll say, stop, 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 stop. Look, 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 look where you're going. And the reason I tell you that little story from my family and from my life is because we're laughing about my grandchildren. But the sad thing is, when we get so tore up with what happened years ago, months ago, and we just keep looking behind us, you can't drive where you need to go when you keep looking behind you. God is saying to you this morning through this man of God, pay attention. Stop looking at the past. Pay attention to the now. Pay attention to the things I have for you in the future. Look where you're going. It's a whole lot better than where you've been. My God, somebody ought to give him praise this morning for that kind of preaching. I feel the Holy Ghost. And so here's the second thing that you learn. He named his son Manasseh, forgetful. But then he named his son Ephraim, which means fruitfulness. And y'all, this is the part I want to preach to you. You can move past the past, and you can grow in a positive way, and you can, you can go forward into your destiny. And again, how do you do it? You lean on the power of God. Joseph said, God has caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. In the land of my affliction. Now, now stay with me right here. Joseph never left Egypt. He never got to go home, never got to change his location, never got a fresh start. He had to stay right where he was and deal with what life had thrown at him. Am I right? I am. So listen, he learned that God can fulfill your destiny in the very place with the very people that tried to keep you from your destiny. You don't have to change churches. You don't have to change jobs. You don't have to change cities or states. You don't have to change wives or husbands. You don't have to change families. See, you can flourish and grow right where you are. God will give you the victory. In the 23rd Psalm, David said, thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Never did really understand that. Never made sense to me until I read a book by a shepherd about this Psalm. And then I understood it. When the shepherd leads the flock to a field where he's going to let them pasture, before he lets them in, he walks through the field, he and the other shepherds, sub-shepherds, whatever, they go through, and there are poisonous plants that if the sheep eat it, will kill them. So the first thing they do is they take a pile of rocks, and there are plenty of rocks in Israel, and they pile those rocks up and they create kind of a tower or a table that's high, high enough to where the sheep can't get to it, and big enough to where they then go through the field and they start pulling up all of the poisonous plants that would kill the sheep, and they take them over and they lay it on top of that tower of rocks, that table, and pile it up where they'll dry and die in the sun and out of reach of the sheep. And in that way, the shepherd prepares the table before the sheep in the presence of the enemies. And I'm just here to tell you, you may still work with them, you may live with them, you may go to church with them. He might pastor you or be a deacon or an elder or just a church member. Listen to me. 
But God can still turn everything around right where you are and prepare a table before you and do great things in your life in the presence of the very people that hurt you. The Bible says the steps of a good man or woman are ordered by the Lord. Do you believe that? I do. You should live your life with a sense of destiny. If you live your life with defeatism all the time, I'll be honest, I feel sorry for you. I really do. I'm sorry. Come let me lay hands on you and pray for you. Because I have lived my whole life with a sense of destiny. And I used to not tell anybody because I felt like it might seem egotistical or something or narcissistic. And I never told anybody until I heard Paul Walker, who pastored one of the largest churches in America in Atlanta, Georgia, eventually became general overseer of the church of God, pastored a church, I think at one time, around 13,000. Paul Walker was talking one time and he said, I have always had a sense of destiny and I almost fell out of my seat. I had never heard anybody say it out loud. But I have always had a sense of destiny. I didn't know what it was, but I just always felt like God had plans for me, and I wanted to be in the center of that plan. And brothers and sisters, my friends and my, and, and my church, my sheep, listen to me. Every one of you should have a sense of destiny. This isn't one of those feel-good sermons about, you know, whatever, positive thinking. No, I'm talking about in the Lord, God has a plan. The steps of a good man or woman are ordered by the Lord. I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. And so God has plans for you. The Bible says in Proverbs 24, 16, for a righteous man may fall seven times, but he'll rise again. But the wicked shall fall by calamity. It doesn't matter if your adversaries push you down, you're going to bounce right back up again because God has a plan for your life. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. Your times and your life are in God's hands, not man's hands. No one can adversely affect you unless you allow them. So don't do it. Don't do it. Just shrug it off. Shake it off. I remember when I went through some of the most hurtful times, especially in the early years of pastoring this church, I'd never been a senior pastor before, a lead pastor. I was younger, even though I'd had a great mentor. Now, I'm going through my own battles and difficulties, and one of the men at our church, every once in a while, would pop in my office, check on me, see how I'm doing. He knew I was going through a very challenging time with some difficult people, and this is the advice he used to give me. This is so spiritual. He said, you know, Pastor, I love you, but you're going to have to learn how to get thick skin and do like a, like a duck. You're going to have to learn how to do like a duck and get water on a duck's back. That was so, there was so much sympathy in that, wasn't there? He, just, he did not have the gift of sympathy, whatever. None whatsoever. But I'll tell you what, he was right. Sometimes you just got to learn to let it run off of you. You just got to learn to shake it off. You got to shrug it off and say, you know what? All right, you said that, and you know, it hurt me a little bit, but you know what? You're not going to get in my way, and you're not going to ruin me, and you're not going to stop me, because it's like Nehemiah, when he was on the wall, and the enemy came and tried to get him to come down. He said, I ain't got time for you. I'm too busy doing something for God. I remember Ray Hughes preached years ago. He said, I'm never going to let an old goat steal my glory. And I made up my mind, I'm not going to let some old goat get me mad, get me upset, somebody get me all frustrated, get me hurt, and try to take me down with them to hell. I'm not going to hell because of what somebody said or did to me. Come on, somebody. This is good preaching right here. I refuse to let what somebody did to me. I'm going to rise above that through the strength and the power of the Holy Ghost so I can be all God's called me to be and do what God's called me to do. And you can do it in the midst of your enemies. And you can be fruitful and walk in the favor of God. Listen, I'm, I'm closing with this. You can flounder in a sea of pain or you can flourish in a field of divinely appointed opportunities. The choice is yours. 
You can stall on the road of despair or you can keep on trucking down the road to your destiny. You just have to make up your mind. Make the decision to be fruitful and productive. And, you know, everywhere, like through all of Joseph's, what I love about the story of Joseph, it's one of my favorite stories in the Bible. It's, it really is. One of my, in those 13 years, from the time he was 17 to the time he was 30, 13 years it took him to get, to get to the reality of his vision and all of the suffering and all of the pain and stalling out and being in a prison and being a slave. And he, you know, probably were plenty of times he thought, man, is this it? Have I missed it? You know, is this, the, is this all I'm ever going to know? But yet he kept that faith and he knew that God had a plan for his life and he was walking in the will of God. And everywhere he was, he just thrived and he was productive and he was successful. And everything he did, he did under the Lord. And at Potiphar's house, man, Potiphar was just thriving under Joseph's leadership. And then they put him over the whole prison, and he was operating the whole thing. And then eventually Pharaoh saw what was in the man, and he read an entire nation. If you'll be faithful in the little things in the hard times, and just keep serving the Lord, and don't let your past bring you down, but just keep walking in that productivity, God will take you and elevate you to places you never could have imagined. And I'm not talking about I'll be a CEO or I'll have my own business and I'll have lots of money. If that's part of it, great, wonderful. But that's not what I'm talking about, okay? That's not my preaching today. My preaching to you is in spiritually. All those other things may happen, but in your character and in your life and in your family and your, you know, do you want to be a bitter husband or father? Do you want to, do you want to raise your children up having a bitter daddy or a bitter mother full of resentment? Is that what example you want to lead to? Is that what, is, are those the memories you want to make for them? I'm just preaching today. You still love me, don't you? Whatever you've been, this is a great part. I, I have to help so many people. I deal with so many people. And the greatest news I ever give people is it doesn't matter what you've been and what you are. If you just trust God, all that can change right now. He can do a turnaround right now. You go home from church and you say, I'm not going to be that anymore. And you start being positive and you forgive it and release people and you're, you're positive and you're, you have a great outlook and, and your whole demeanor changes and your husband or your wife looks at you and says, you okay? Yeah. Matter of fact, I'm doing better than I've ever been. Okay. Deep down they're going, but they're afraid to say anything because they don't know. But no, when God changes you, you, you from that point on, he's, come on, God can turn it around, can't he? They're about to sing that he's a God of a turnaround. He can turn it around. And the past is in the past. You can bury it and it's gone. Once you bury it, you don't see it anymore. You just got to learn to release and forgive and let it go. That's why when I forgive people for the wrongs they did me, I always say, Lord, I turn them over to you. Because me, if you do something wrong to me, I would be vindictive. I'm going to slash both your back tires and key your car. And you always slash two tires so that the spare doesn't matter anymore. You have to think these things through, y'all. If you're going to be vindictive, you've got to learn how to do it right. Okay. So it's a good thing I'm not God. And so the best thing I can do is forgive them and release them. There's a man in our church, he's not here today, but he talked to his pastor who is one of my mentors. He's a guy, James Sheely. He's a guy that I have just the almost unbelievable love and respect for. He's cut out of the same cloth as Bobby Johnson, who's my pastor. And James Sheely was talking to this man in our church who had been hurt by some, by some external situations. And he had a lot of pain and hurt, and he asked Brother Sheely, he said, Pastor Sheely, he said, how do you know when you've really forgiven somebody? 
And James Sheely, in all of his incredible wisdom, paused and looked and he said, I think you know you've forgiven him when you don't want to hurt them anymore. Isn't that powerful? And so you have to get to the point where you say, God, I'm not gonna, I don't want to hurt them. I don't want to see bad things. I just, God, I forgive them. I release them from the pain they caused me. And Lord, I turn them over to you. You deal with them. And see, because if I deal with you, I'm going to probably kill you and send you to hell. Because that's, because I'm, I'm outside of my hurt, right? But how many of you know God may convict them and save them and change them? And they come back to you apologizing, saying, I'm so sorry. I was, I was terrible. I was brutal. But the Lord's dealt with me and he's changing me. Will you forgive me? Would you rather have that? This is good preaching this morning right here, Pastor Billy. I'd say amen myself. Hallelujah. I'm blessing myself. You know how serious this is with God? Jacob, Joseph's dad, had a moment where he blessed his grandsons. By the way, all the papas, grandpas, we need to be blessing our kids and blessing our grandchildren. Jack Hayford taught me this years ago, there is a power in, you know when you say we bless people, I bless you, you hear people say, we pray blessings. When I pray a prayer blessing over you, that's not a benediction, and that's not some cute religious thing I do. I did it in the first service, and I'll probably do it in this service. When I, pray a bened- when I pray a blessing over you, I am literally praying a blessing of God on you, and you can either receive it or reject it. That's up to you. I, I go through Chick-fil-A, I went through Chick-fil-A the other day, and uh, Leah wanted ice cream. I said, okay, let's go get ice cream. And I took it through. And that, well, that little, that little young person at Chick-fil-A said, you have a blessed day. And I drove through and I said, I'll receive that blessing. That little young person may have been doing that just because they were taught, but I receive it, Lord. Let me have blessing on my life. Jacob, in, in blessing the two grandchildren, created a blessing statement. He said, may God make you as Ephraim and Manasseh. And it became a saying in Israel that people would speak over their children. May God make you as Ephraim and Manasseh. What is he saying? You're going to go through hurts and heartaches in life. Teach your kids this. You're going to, you're going to get disappointed. A bully at the school is going to say something mean to you. The girls are going to exclude you, honey, and they're sometimes not going to let you get in their little group and be mean to you. But you don't get bitter and hurt and get back at them. What you do is you, you, just, you just forgive them, and you just keep on being who you are. Don't you worry about it. God, God will tell you. You get you some other friends. You just keep being who you are. May God make you, honey, like Ephraim and Manasseh. You just have short accounts and forget about what they did, and you just keep on being who God called you to be. Don't let anything or anyone get in your way. Wouldn't that be a great way to raise our children? May God stand with me. And my prayer and my statement to everybody under the sound of my voice in this room, I echo the words of the patriarch Jacob. May God make every one of you like Ephraim and Manasseh. May you forget all the hurts that people have done in your life and may you walk in the favor and the destiny that God has for you as a child of God. Don't get to the end of your life having regrets of what could have been because you allowed things from the past to hold you back. Fear and hurt, pain and resentment, negativity and a low self-esteem. Don't you let it happen greater is he that is in me greater is he that is in me 
than he that is in this whole world. Whoever he or she may be, God is greater. Train in your rags of pain and hurt for the riches of divine favor and blessing. I'm going to pray over you, and then I'm going to give an altar call. And if what I have preached this morning, I'm done. What I have preached for you, if it, if it ministers to you, it affects you, and you say, Pastor, I need to get to the altar. I want to get down here because I've got some pains and some hurts and some things that people have said and done that have, that have been like shackles on my feet, and they affect my personality, and they affect me. It's affecting my marriage. It's affecting my children and our home. It's affecting me at work. I don't want to be this way anymore. You don't have to be this way anymore. I want you to get out of your seat, and I want you to come down here. I want to lay hands on you. I want to pray for you, okay? But I'm going to pray. Father, I thank you right now for this message and the power of this message. And I know Satan has tried to hinder this message and didn't want this message to go forth, but it's too late. It's done now. And you made a promise that the word would not return void, but that it would perform whatever it sets out to do. And you said, I am God and I will work and who will hinder me? And so, Father, I pray right now that you'll work in the hearts and lives of every man and woman that is in this room. That God, if hurts of the past and pains of the past have bound them up and have created acidic acidic content in their life and, and bitterness and resentment and whatever else and grief and grudges and pain, God, today, flush them that out and free them and help them to be loose from it. We remove the effects of the poison and God help them to walk in freedom and forgiveness and, and, and in the favor of God and become who you want them to be and to do what you want them to do in the name of Jesus. Let there be a freedom in their prayer life and a freedom in their worship and a freedom as they read their Bible and a freedom in their witness and in everything God there'll be a change in everything in their life. God let it happen this morning I pray in Jesus name. In Jesus name. Come on one two three Grove. You need to be to this altar. That's right. People are moving. Thanks for listening. Be sure to join us Sunday mornings. Our service times are 9 o'clock and 1045. For more information, please visit us at highpraises.org.